0: You're not entertained. <laughs> Gladiator. So good. Mm. It also sounds like the prosecutors did a really good job. Prosecutors did a great job. Defense attorney did not do so hot.
1: I guess that's what happens when you get a defense attorney out of a phone book. Right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> In this episode of The Bose Grim, Jeremy discusses the grim story behind the movie and the book, Gone Girl. Well, everybody, we have a very special guest for you today. I want everyone who's listening to welcome our old friend Eric Crosby. Woo! Thank you so much. He, yes. he, Jeremy, and I have known Eric for a very long time. I mean, what are we going on now? Uh,
1: uh it might be like thirty something years. Wow, it's been a long time. I remember. So, longtime listener of the podcast, enjoy it can't listen to it at night cuz i get scared so i have to listen to it in the daytime but that's okay um but i remember the first episode brian was was talking to y'all and he's like yeah we've known each other for you know however long and i'm just like
0: that's eh, weak sauce
1: like i know these guys like i've <laughs> known these guys from like elementary school i used to drive joey to school
0: That's 100% in true. the
1: morning and stuff like yep. it, yeah
0: it was uh, he was a senior and i was a freshman and uh, i felt very cool parking yeah, in the, 30, like, the senior area 30 years is much longer than 12 to 15 <laughs> yeah
2: but it's, it's all good. We're here now. This is fun. Absolutely. So the story I have for you guys is centered around uh, an industry that I love, and I love movies. And I love movies that are based on true stories, inspired by true stories. Those are my favorite kinds.
0: I think if there's one thing that connects all of us, and maybe all you listeners with us, is probably movies. I think we could probably all relate to the same, if not a lot of the same movies. Oh yeah, for sure. We we all are want to be
2: entertained. One hundred percent confirmed.
0: Are oh, you not entertained? <laughs>
2: mm, Gladiator, so good. Mm. So the the director that I want to speak specifically to about tonight is uh, David Fincher. Mm. So, love
1: David Fincher. Oh one, my gosh,
2: one of the most sought after directors and producers in Hollywood with movies like Seven, Zodiac, The Social Network, Fight Club, as well as the Netflix phenomenon House of Cards. Mm. I love House of Cards. It's so good. You know, it's easy to see how his work invokes a sense of realism and depth. And while Zodiac and The Social Network are both based on real stories, you know, creative liberties taken, of course, there's one film he directed that I absolutely love. And I kind of stumbled across it one night. I kind of, I, I had never seen it and it piqued my interest and I had an extra two and a half hours laying around. So I was like, I'm going to watch it. So I'll give you guys a hint. This stars Ben Affleck. Rosamund Pike, and Neil Patrick Harris. Oh, and it's based on a book inspired by a nationally known murder case, The Disappearance and Murder of Lacey Peterson. Anyone? D2, The Mighty Ducks. Close. <laughs> oh,
0: okay. uh, I don't know. I, I, don't, I know a lot of uh, murder movies based on, on books, but I, don't, I can't think of one in
2: particular. So the film is Gone Girl. Okay. Really? Really? Oh, yeah. Phenomenal film, incredible direction, superbly acted, and based off the novel by the same name by Gillian Flynn. Now,
0: I've read the novel. It's really good. I didn't know it was based on
2: a real story, though. So, yeah, she was inspired. She said that the inspiration for Gone Girl came from the disappearance and murder of Lacey Peterson. Oh, that's crazy. So, if you haven't seen the movie or read the book, I won't spoil anything specifically about those because, you know, those are just based on this case. Uh, but it, to be honest, it's been out a while, so you, you should probably have already seen it. Yeah, I need to go watch it. I it's haven't seen it's got I some haven't twists
0: and turns, so if you like, if you like those psychological, twisty yeah. murder movies, it's really good. Is it really two and a half
3: hours? It's probably a little bit over that. Is that over your limit? No, I just need to plan out my time.
1: <laughs> yeah, you got to make a schedule for that. Yeah,
2: makes sense. So let's dive into the grim story behind the movie and the book Gone Girl. So just, we'll start off with a little history about those involved before we really dive into the wild ride that is this case. So Scott Peterson and Lacey Denise Rocha first met when Lacey was in college in California at Cal Poly State University in 1994. They would meet through a mutual friend who worked in Scott's restaurant, Pacific Cafe, and Lacey would make the first move and give Scott her phone number right after meeting him. She'd later call her mother saying that she met the man she wanted to marry. Storybook romance, you know, love at first sight. So they went on a date on a deep sea fishing trip and the two would begin seriously dating soon. As their relationship got more serious, Scott put aside his dreams of becoming a professional golfer and pursued a business career. The two dated for two years and then moved in together. After Scott finished his senior year of college, Lacey took a job in Prunedale, California. It was during that time that Scott began engaging in a variety of affairs, according to prosecutors. They would later get married in 97, and Scott would graduate with a degree in architectural business in June of 98. After graduation, the two of them would start a sports bar in San Luis Obispo called The Shack, which made enough money, so the couple eventually sold in 2000 and moved back to their hometown, Modesto, California. They'd soon become pregnant in 2002, and that's an important fact to keep in mind. The two planned to name their son Connor and seemed to have an ideal marriage. However, Scott would continue to pursue extramarital affairs, and he would see a Fresno massage therapist named Amber Frey, and Scott would tell her that he was single. The two ultimately began a romantic relationship. I'm
0: I'm sitting here trying to, like, now that you've told us what movie it is, I'm sitting here trying to connect the movie with all of these facts that you're listing off right now, and right now they're, they're, like... Barely lining up with each other, like I just kind of like hit moments, and I'm like, okay, oh, okay, that was maybe that was in the movie. I, now I don't remember. So they're like weaving in and out of of details. Yeah, Joey just looked over me and he was like, oh,
3: that's when or that's it. It's like exactly. A light bulb went off.
2: There are little things that connect the two. It definitely was inspired. It's not a retelling. Hmm. So here's where it gets crazy. So before Lacey Peterson disappeared, the last people to speak to her were Scott. Lacey's mother, Sharon Rocha, and her sister, Amy Rocha. All three spoke with Lacey on December 23rd, 2002. The next day on Christmas Eve, Scott Peterson called police to report Lacey was missing from their home. He told police that he last saw her mopping the floor and was planning on walking the dog when he left for a fishing trip 90 miles away. Within the next week, investigators would search the Peterson home, the water near Berkeley Marino, where Lacey disappeared. And by New Year's Eve, investigators began treating the disappearance as foul play. But something wasn't adding up. Scott told other people he was planning on playing golf on Christmas Eve and offered to pick up a fruit basket for Amy Rocha. Their dog, McKenzie, would be found by two neighbors the next morning at 10.30 a.m. and 10.45 and returned to the Peterson yard. When Scott came home, he claimed to not be able to find Lacey, then showered and washed his clothes because they had got wet from fishing. After the police arrived at the Peterson's home, Lacey's keys, wallet, and sunglasses were found in her purse and the dining room was meticulously set for dinner. One detective found a phone book on the kitchen counter open to an ad for a defense lawyer. It's getting good. Seems suspicious. Why would the phone book be open specifically to a defense lawyer after you called and reported your wife missing?
0: Also seems kind of messy though. Like again, why would you have the phone book open to a defense lawyer? That seems a little too planned.
1: All right. So let me, let me recap. So because you just gave us a whole lot of facts. December 22nd. She talks to her husband, her mom, and her sister. For the last time on the 23rd, Scott says he's going fishing, but he tells other people he's going to play golf. And then on the 24th on Christmas Eve, he reports her missing and it takes him about a week until New Year's to finally for the cops to finally be like, okay, yeah, this is a missing person. But then they find in the home, they find her wallet, her keys and her sunglasses inside of her purse inside the home that has a dining room table that is set for dinner and a phone book on the counter open to a defense attorney.
0: Yes. And we know that Scott came home, he showered and stuff. Yeah, so. so before reporting her missing? Yes. It's also odd
3: that it took weeks for them to say, okay, she's finally missing. hmm Right. When all that stuff is home, but she's not there. To me, that's just, like,
2: why?
1: Well, it's the holidays. They got, yeah. they got things going on.
2: That's true. So detectives John Bueller and Alan Bocchini claimed that Scott was completely calm. At 2.15, Scott left a message for Lacey saying, Hey, beautiful, it's 2.15. I'm leaving Berkeley, which was the marina where he was fishing at. The detectives found his behavior strange to say the least, his calm demeanor and lack of questioning to the detectives threw them off. And in 2017 Bueller would tell ABC news, he wasn't like, will you call me back? Can I have one of your cards? What are you guys doing now? He was uninterested in the detective's next steps. He just was kind of like, my wife's missing. He's kind of like, all right, I've reported it. I've done my job. You guys take it from here. So the Modesto police and firefighters would then carry out a huge search in Modesto for Lacey Peterson, which led to a search of 30 officers using helicopters, canine units, horses, and water rescue units. Volunteers and loved ones posted flyers to raise awareness of her disappearance, and one detective stated that it was out of character for her to suddenly leave without telling any of her family.
3: Seems like a classic kind of missing persons case. Mm -hmm, Very classic. On the cover, it feels that way.
2: Mm -hmm. Out of character, out of the blue, just disappears two days before Christmas. So in two days, over 900 people were looking for Lacey, even before there was much media coverage but soon the case would attract widespread national media interest. Posters were posted everywhere. A $25,000 reward was offered, followed by a $250,000 reward, and then increased to $500,000. A website was launched by the husband of a friend called LaceyPeterson.com, and over 1,500 volunteers signed up to distribute information to help search for her. So now we're here to the discovery of Lacey's body. This is where it begins to really solidify that Scott had something to do on April 13th 2003 a couple was walking their dog in a marshy area of the San Francisco shore just north of Berkeley they found a decomposing but well-preserved body of a late-term male fetus
0: late term we're saying like third trimester yes 38
2: to 40 weeks yes Its umbilical cord was still attached, which led to the preservation. But it appeared to be torn, not cut or clamped. An anonymous source in the Associated Press revealed that 1.5 loops of nylon tape were found around the fetus's neck, and a huge cut was on the body. The next day, a passerby found the body of a recently pregnant woman, wearing beige pants and a maternity bra, about a mile away from where the baby's corpse was found. The decomposed body was almost unrecognizable as a human, seeing that she was decapitated and her limbs were missing. A DNA test a week later verified that the woman found was Lacey Peterson and the unborn son was Connor. It's also very, it's very
3: graphic when you think about what that would have looked like. It's, it's heart-wrenching.
2: Yeah, so there was no information as to whether it looked like the limbs were purposely removed or had been removed by wildlife, boat propeller, any number of things in the bay. But... Were they ripped off or were they like... They were not clean cuts. Okay. Oh. So the autopsy would show that Connor's skin wasn't decomposed, but his body was mutilated. Lacey's cervix was intact, but she suffered two cracked ribs. Dr. Brian Peterson, a forensic pathologist, found that Lacey's upper torso had been emptied of internal organs except for the uterus. Peterson, which is no relation to Scott or Lacey, determined that the fetus was expelled from Lacey's body, but he testified that he couldn't determine whether the fetus was alive or dead at the time it left, meaning that there was no way to discover or prove that she was pregnant at the time of her death or if she had already given birth.
0: I'm just I'm just so shocked at these extremely
2: gruesome details. when
1: When did they find out that they were pregnant?
2: So they found out that they were pregnant in 2002.
1: Does it, you know, it doesn't say what month?
2: It doesn't say what month, okay. but this was April 13th, 2003, so I would assume it have been mid to late year, 2002, based on a pregnancy term
1: yeah i'm just I'm just trying to think like if there's a way to like backtrack and be like, okay, you know, would the would the fetus have gone full term so the, when, the, during the time she was missing.
2: The documentary dives deep into this line of questioning. So here we get into the investigation in the trial. so Scott's affairs would soon be released to the public, and Lacey knew about one of them the affair, which began after Scott met a woman named Sean Sibley. Now, Sibley is not really necessarily crucial to the story. She's simply the go-between. So in October 2002, in a meeting, he told her that he was single and looking and told her that he should attach Horny Bastard to his name tag. And although Sibley was in a relationship, she thought Scott would be a good match for Amber Frey, her friend. It's an important name to remember.
0: When is Lacey missing at this point?
2: No. Okay. This was in October of 2002, She doesn't go missing until December 23rd, 24th, 2002. All right, Christmas Eve. So Frey and Scott would exchange contact with the facilitation of Sibley, and they met the next day. After a month-long dramatic romance, Frey informed the police of the relationship after discovering that Scott Peterson was a person of interest in Lacey Peterson's disappearance. She told police that Scott told her the following two weeks before Lacey died, that he had lost his wife and that this would be his first holiday without her. So the woman that he's in an affair with, he tells her before she is found dead, that he had lost his wife and that this would be his first holiday without her. Scott's not looking too good right now. He's a real stand-up guy. Yeah. Hmm. So on April 18, 2003, Scott was arrested near a golf course. He claimed to be meeting some family for golf, but his brown hair had been dyed blonde, and his Mercedes was filled with 15000 in cash, survival gear, camping equipment, several changes of clothes, two driver's license, and 12 Viagra tablets. You think he could have looked any less guilty, maybe? I personally like the Viagra tablets at the end. You yes. couldn't have picked those up where you were going? The yes. Viagra tablets were pertinent to his, uh, nice
0: touch, for sure. <laughs> to his camping.
2: So in his defense, Scott's father Lee Peterson said that Scott dyed his hair because of the media attention and had two licenses to get a discount at the golf course and that he'd been living out of his car to also avoid the media.
1: That
0: that makes sense.
2: Yeah, that's some good cases, yeah. uh, you
0: know, for all of those very strange occurrences.
1: I don't believe it. No. But it's it could it could make sense.
2: Yeah. However, the authorities believe that Scott was trying to escape to Mexico. Scott Peterson will be arraigned in court on April 21, 2003, in Stanislaus County. He will be charged with two felony counts of murder with premeditation and special circumstances, pleading not guilty. Because so many people were already so convinced of Scott's guilt, the judge decided to move the trial to San Mateo County. And with a six-month trial from June to November, Scott would be convicted of first-degree murder for the death of his wife and second-degree murder for the death of his unborn son. He would be sentenced to the death penalty by lethal injection by the jury, and Judge Alfred DeLucci would call his act cruel, callous, and his defense not credible in the least, seeing no reason to reduce the sentence. Okay, well,
0: listen, I'm not really... I'm not defending Scott at all, but all of that evidence seems very circumstantial. Yeah, is there no other hard facts, hard evidence? We don't like we. Uh, was anything mentioned about a murder weapon, or, I mean, I'm sorry, no, no human can rip arms off of somebody, right? This is true. Also, he would it would take a little more than just his bare hands to pull a baby out of out of somebody, right? There are a lot of things here that not necessarily exonerate him, but I also can't confidently say, oh, yeah, Scott did it. I mean, I want to say, based off all this evidence, yeah, I'm sure Scott did it, but how is what we're missing? Did the autopsy
3: show anything about, I know you mentioned, like, an animal, some sort of animal, like, they couldn't prove that it was you know, a person or an animal or a knife or something that ripped them apart. So I guess, is it possible that it could have been an animal? Because, I mean, that's pretty gruesome. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, so you, you bring up a good question, and it's a question many have asked, is Scott Peterson innocent? Was he wrongly convicted of a crime that he didn't commit? And here's what it says. The new evidence released suggests that Scott Peterson may be innocent. Janie Peterson, Scott Peterson's sister-in-law, claims police failed to follow up with up to 14 witnesses, including a mailman deemed to be critical to the case. She tells Dr. Phil, there's no time for Scott to commit the crime. There's no time in his day. The timeline doesn't match up. Scott has been wrongfully convicted of murdering his wife and son. The mailman, previously mentioned, told police that the family dog was missing at the Peterson's home when he came by suggesting that Lacey was out walking him. The appeal also states that someone claimed to see a homeless man pushing a woman into a van at the time that Lacey disappeared, which the appeal team suggested could have played a factor. Could Lacey have been abducted while Scott was gone? Could that have led to the dog being missing? And these 14 witnesses said that they saw Lacey Peterson after Scott left walking her dog around the community. But they said the dog had returned, right? Eventually? It was found at 1030 and 1045 and then returned home.
0: Yeah, so... So So, she, so the, the assumption is she got picked up or abducted while she was walking the dog. What, what, if, this, if there are witnesses coming forward, why was none of this ever investigated?
2: I think most of it was because he was tried and convicted in the court of public opinion, and there was not enough evidence to suggest to overturn, I guess, the conviction. In the eyes of the judge and the prosecution.
3: And usually if it walks like a duck, talks like a duck, it usually is a duck, but... Yeah, but you got to have a beak to be a duck. Yeah. I mean, you there needs to be some sort of like hard fact evidence. And it doesn't sound, sound like there was. It was just, he looks guilty. His actions were, they, they weren't normal. I mean, dyeing your hair, having all this money, having all these girlfriends... Lying to the girlfriends, I mean... The affairs don't
2: help him. No. Credibility's out the window. Well, so one one of Scott's attorneys, Cliff Gardner, argued to the court that one of the jurors lied on the questionnaire and that jurors during the trial were allowed to conduct experiments on Peterson's boat that he supposedly went fishing on without defense attorneys present. Gardner also argued that the case was prejudiced by its extreme popularity. Other attorneys, however, would downplay the argument of insufficient evidence and argue that if the amount of evidence in Scott Peterson's case wasn't enough to convict him, then the evidence wouldn't be enough to convict anybody. Honestly, with the amount of evidence against Scott, I personally very much doubt his innocence, but the bedrock of a civil society is the presumption of innocence. So I'm open to the fact that I could be wrong.
3: Has Scott said any, has he come forward or his lawyers come forward and said anything about how he's in- innocent. I know he said uh, his sister-in-law.
2: but Scott vehemently denies his participation in the case. He claims his innocence to this day. Still on death row. Battling out with appeals. Praying that he gets the opportunity to exhaust all legal challenges. He only has until 2027, which is when his execution date is set.
0: I I think there's more to the story. There's way more to the story. I'm not suggesting that Scott is 100% innocent, but, I mean, innocent until proven guilty, right? And and I don't think – I think, again, I think it was all very circumstantial. Was he making some very poor decisions along the way? Yes. But, you know, affairs aside, and – but, but, you know, things like your story not matching up and, you know, the $15,000 in cat, you know, all those things that made it seem like he was going to run and flee. But that, I don't think that uh, means that he did it. But I, I also don't want to assume that he wasn't involved in her disappearance at the least.
1: Well, I think too, like you've got to, in court, the prosecution has to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that this evidence that they're presenting finds him guilty and that reasonable doubt thing is what trips up a lot of, a lot of prosecutors and it's really what a lot of defend defense teams hang their head on and say like, can you, can you prove beyond a reasonable doubt because it's your job to prove it. And I don't know that there's enough evidence there to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he did it. I, I agree with with Jeremy like it, it very much seems like he could but yeah, I could be wrong. like I have my own opinions, but if I was on that jury, I don't I don't know what I would do.
3: Yeah from what we heard from this story I don't I haven't heard enough to say that he's hundred percent guilty. like I see all kinds of holes in the story.
0: What would it take for y'all to, you know, if if this was the story we were we were given and we were on the jury, like what would it take for you to to confidently say guilty?
3: I would need some sort of murder weapon, um, some sort of video evidence of him, you know, dragging her out out of the house or putting her in a car. I'd need
0: something. I need at least a murder weapon or or his proof that he was at the scene or even like around you know, around her around that time. I mean, there's, there's enough separation between him and her that things aren't lining up for him to be even around her
2: at that time. And that's why I say, man, go, go watch the documentary. It's excellent. It dives four or five episodes into this deep into the trial, all the evidence that was used. And the problem with a case like this is because it was nationally covered by multiple sort, you know, by multiple news agencies, you know, similar to, you know, not the O.J. trial necessarily from a popularity standpoint, but it became impossible to find impartial jurors. And when you're dealing with a pregnant woman and her dead unborn son, emotions run at a different level. There's and a lot so- of pressure on law enforcement,
3: and that's funny too. Is a lot of these stories that we talk about and cover, there's a lot of police departments and law enforcement agencies that drop the ball or don't do all their due diligence to solve a case. Sure, they, they sent out a lot of uh, helicopters, horses, dogs, everybody to try and find her. But once they find her, okay, let's point finger at the husband. Like, were there really any other sus- uh, suspects?
2: Uh, no. No he was the the main person of interest and in, outside of whoever was shoving that woman into the back of a van or uh, that a witness claimed to have seen um you know he was the prime suspect and you know when you start taking into account how somebody's acting you know when a loved one goes missing if there seems to be minimal remorse if yes. there seems to be no urgency and then to find out that he told his girlfriend, hey, you know, my wife already died. Now, that could have been a line that he was using. You know, and maybe he is innocent had no idea. It just happened to, you know, horrible strike of luck. But it became too many. And granted, there was no physical evidence. And it was mostly all circumstantial. But the circumstantial evidence was so great that they ended up convicting. And the jury emotionally swayed you know to hate him to just
0: that i would love to have been in that in that jury jury room mm-hmm. listening to the discussion i i'm sure it's very similar to what we're doing here but it also sounds like the prosecutors did a really good job mm. uh to 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 persuade the jury in one way or the other clearly cuz cuz he's in jail mm-hmm. and and he got the death sentence yeah <laughs> Prosecutors did a great job. Mm-hmm. Defense attorney
2: did not do so hot.
1: I guess that's what happens when you get a defense attorney out of a phone book. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: good. So again, if you're looking to find out more information about this case, I encourage you to uh, watch the murder of Lacey Peterson. It dives deep into the case, start to finish. And really paints a very vivid picture
0: I, I need to now because i'm very like i'm i'm now very invested in the fact that i'm not 100 percent sure this guy is guilty uh but i'm also not uh you know 100 sure that this guy is innocent and i i need to i need a little more i need a little more on on this story yeah. well, well and
2: that that's where it ties into gone girl
3: i was gonna say oh, yeah. wh- what would you suggest watching first gone
2: girl or Ooh. the um the series I, I would watch the series first only because you get a good backstory and a good backbone and then watch and see the similarities between how the story advances. Now, at a certain point, Gone Girl goes off in a completely different direction. Oh, sure. Completely it's be a different direction. to Hollywood. But the, the gist of the, sh- the struggle and the pull between the husband and the wife and, and everything like that lines up astonishingly well. So much so that when I watched Gone Girl, and then I watched the murder of Lacey Peterson in that order, I was like, oh my gosh. I had no idea. They're very yeah. close. There there's like it's like
0: each story has you know, Gone Girl has its WTF moment moments, it's like three or four, like all at the very end. And and this the murder of Lacey Peterson has its own WTF moments as well, but they're very they're very different.
2: It's very good. But yes. Watch the doc first, then watch Gone Girl.
0: And and if nothing else, watch Gone Girl for for Tyler Perry.
2: He's very good.
0: Excellent. Yeah.
3: This episode was written by Jeremy Thompson with discussion from Joey Thompson and Brian McIntyre and was recorded at Starscream Studio. Grayson over at Starscream is an incredible producer and engineer, so be sure to visit StarscreamStudio.com for all your tracking and recording needs. Additional audio support by Will Compton and original music composed by Nick McClure. Be sure to subscribe, and when you do, drop a line in the comments and say hi. We want to hear your grim stories, too. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next episode.